0: All right, all right. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Renovation. Glad you guys are here. And uh, I'm usually invited to Renovation maybe once a year, uh, and David invites me down here. And I really feel like um, my God-given job is usually to make fun of your pastor. That's usually uh, how I uh, introduce myself and him and and uh, it's a it's a God given task, and I'd like to uh, maybe do something slightly different because I don't know when when will be the next time that I'm back here. Because if you uh, were here last week, you heard that we're planting a new church, so I'll be leading a new church. I don't know when I'll be able to be back, so I want to do something slightly different this morning, and that is brag on your pastor just a little bit. Last week uh, David talked about the fact that renovation uh, is not just about building the kingdom of renovation, but about building the kingdom of God. And I want you to know that that is a reality uh, and what David is about and what Renovation Church is about. Uh, And I'm a recipient of that. Uh, Just so you know, uh, your pastor has been coaching me for the last six months. We meet about once a month. And it's it's not things that are, you know, the, the coolest things to talk about. Are you a nonprofit yet? And do you have your details in place? And things like that. But he's spending time with me. He's coaching me along with our other pastor from Connections Church. And um, I just want you to know this isn't normal. This isn't what pastors do. This isn't what churches do in terms of sending people, sending resources, sending coaching. The reason he does it, the reason I think renovation, you guys do it, is because you understand the big picture. The big picture is that people need to know Jesus in all the cities around us. And so I just want to thank David, and he's not going to tell you that publicly necessarily, the time that he's spending to make this new church happen. I would appreciate it if you would thank him for that, because it's a rare thing and a unique thing that David and renovation is willing to do. So that's it. I'm not going to make fun of him today. Um, I'm going to transition and, and kind of piggyback off of what he talked about last week. If you were here last week, he talked about Scripture, and he talked about, um, he said, the Bible is our main source of endurance, encouragement, and hope. And I, and I don't know about you, but I, I walked away from that going, that was really good, that was super helpful. And my wife and I, we were home, and we were talking about it going, things need to change. That was, that was really intense and really helpful, the message last week. But if you're anything like me, you may get frustrated at your lack of ability to know what you're supposed to do. Like, if you came out of last week, you're like, good, I'm going to spend 20 minutes in God's word every day this week. And then you got to Tuesday, right? And you're like, shoot. And then you got to Wednesday and Thursday, and you're like, okay, well, start over. After this Sunday, it's going to be different, right? Are you anything? Am I the only one that lacks, you know, discipline in this place? And so you get frustrated, and you go, how come I can't accomplish the things that I know God wants me to do. And we not only lack the ability, but we lack the proper motivation to do what we're supposed to do. Now, this doesn't just apply to Bible reading. It could ab- apply to prayer or evangelism, or it could be on the other end of the spectrum. It could apply to alcohol and drug use. It could apply to an eating disorder or mishandling money. Anything where you would say, I know what I want to do. I know what I need to do. I just can't do it. I lack the motivation to do it, and I lack the ability to to make it come to fruition. Let me ask us a, a big question. Here's a big question this morning, is what is motivating us? What is really motivating you and me to change? Every one of you would say, I've got changes that I need to make in my life. The question is, what is motivating us to change? I'm just going to let the cat out of the bag early here. Here's my point. I believe God is not as concerned about the action as he is the motive behind the action. Let me say that again. God is not as concerned about your action as he is your motive behind your action. I'll give you an example of this. I mentioned last week that I have three kids, five, three, and one. And one of those things that, the, that my kids like uh, is popsicles and freezies, okay? And uh, we have a rule in our home, and the rule is that you can eat popsicles and freezies in the kitchen. Anybody else have that rule, okay? You don't eat popsicles and freezies on the carpet, okay? Simple rule, it's not that hard to follow, okay? And so they're allowed to eat these things, and, and I, I came upstairs the other day, and I realized the sinfulness of my children, okay? And, um, and I'd like to show you a little picture that describes this, Okay? This is uh, my three kids, and where they choose to eat the popsicle is literally an inch away from the carpet, okay? And you will see at the very bottom there are some freezies on the carpet, okay? Because yes, they obeyed the rule, and they did not eat on the carpet, but for whatever reason, and I blame it on their mother, uh, I'm just kidding, um, they got as close to the edge as possible. My kids have never said to me, "Uh, Father, we really respect your authority in our home, and we would love to sit as far away from the carpet as possible towards the kitchen so that we don't spill on the carpet. No, rather, what they do is they obey, kind of, and they get as close to the edge as possible. Why? Well, because their motivation wasn't entirely pure, It was just because dad made a rule, it wasn't because they said, I totally agree with the rule. Does that make sense? Open up in your Bibles with me to Romans chapter 12, and and if uh, you have a Bible underneath you in the seat backs, it's on page 920. And I want to talk about this kind of idea of motivation today. What is it that motivates us to make the changes that we want to make? We realize what motivates our kids sometimes. It's a a discipline or a reward or something like that, however it is that you parent. But what is it that motivates us to make those changes that we know we need to make? Romans 12, 1 says this. It says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper Worship. Let's stop for a minute. The first word there is therefore. Bible reading one oh one tells us that if you see the word therefore, you should ask what it's there for. Do you get it? That's really catchy. And you should always ask why is he saying therefore. Oh, it must be following up on something. And here's what he's following up on: all of chapters one through eleven of Romans. And at the end of it, he he comes to conclusion. It's just this great conclusion at the end of chapter 11, and then at the beginning of chapter 12, verse 1, which we just read, it says, therefore, I urge you to, to do these things. He's really asking the question, okay, so what? If you've ever read Romans 1 through 11, you've scratched your head a few times, okay? It's about the most intense and deepest passages of Scripture, and it's all about how in the world is there a holy God and sinful people, and there was, and Jesus bridged the gap between us, And it's an amazing text. And at the end of it, he says, therefore, this is how we live, in view of God's mercy. In view of God's mercy, it basically means anything that he says next is now in view of all of chapters 1 through 11 and the beauties of what God has done for us in in Jesus. And he says, this is... You live your, your bodies are a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Basically means giving yourself to God in mind and body and soul. This is your true and proper worship. Basically what that means is that uh, we, everything we do now is an understanding of what has been done previously for us. This is critical. Every one of Paul's letters in the New Testament goes in, in generally in this direction. You never start... Verse 1 through, you know, the whole chapter 1, the whole chapter 2, you'll never see it say, okay, do this first. Go ahead and start living such and such a way. Or we need to do this. You'll never see it. Why? Because he always wants to first lay the groundwork and say, Let, you need to first understand what's been done for you. And always the second half of the letters then is in response to what happened in the first half of the letters. Romans is no exception to that. Here's why. goes back to the theme. God is not as concerned about the action as he is the motive behind the action, right? So the end of the letters are always, do this now, live your life in such a way that pleases God, read your Bibles, share your faith, why? Because look at what's been done for you in the first half of all the books, Jesus talks this way too. Matthew chapter six, verse one on the screen. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. He doesn't say don't practice righteousness, don't do the right thing. He says don't do it for others to see. Your motivation matters. Now, before I get into you might say, okay, well, tell me the correct motivation then. I get to the correct motivation, but let me first look at a few lesser motivations that you and I are all guilty of. I just, I'm just going to list four here. These are reasons why we do something or don't do something, that it, and it motivates us for a lesser reason. Number one, for the approval of others. I'm going to do this because then they will approve of me. They will like me. They will affirm me. And so I know I'm going to do this right thing in order to get the approval of other people. Anybody else guilty of that? Because I am. Control. I'm going to do this so that I can be in control of the situation. I'm going to pray in such a way, live in such a way so that God owes me something and therefore I'm in control of him. Or we control other people. I'm manipulative and I'm controlling behind the scenes, but I look like I have things together. Number three, pleasure. I I want to feel good about me. I want to feel good about myself. I'm doing this first and foremost for my own pleasure. And number four, my reputation. I'm really more than anything concerned about my reputation. That's why I'm doing fill in the blank. The thing is, motivation really matters. And did you know that the gospel, meaning our acceptance by God because of Jesus, Has already given us all of these things. And yet we look for it in all these other things. Let me give you an example. We've already been approved of by God because Jesus came to die for us. We have to understand that God is in complete control. And until we don't understand, until we do understand that, we'll continue to manipulate situations. We can find lasting pleasure in Him. We won't find lasting pleasure anywhere else. And fourth, our reputation with God is what matters far more than our reputation with anyone else. You see, the motivation for why you want to change is just as important or more important than the change itself. Now look at Romans 12, 2, the verse that comes right after that. It says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed, and I'm not promoting any particular church under any particular name (laughs) called transformed, by the renewing of your mind. And then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. You see, when when Paul wrote this letter, he knew that some of the pushback against this would be, okay, if you're going to just talk for 11 chapters about all that God has done for these people, then they're not going to live lives that are honoring to God. They're just going to live the way that they choose to live, to which Paul responds, here's what's actually, no, here's what's going to happen. When they understand rightly what's been done for them, they will then be transformed in the renewing of their minds, and when your mind changes, your behavior changes. Say it differently. A new orientation in thinking leads to a new orientation in behavior. And how do you get the new orientation in your thinking? Well, you look back and you dive deeper into what has God done for you in Jesus. You understand it better. That's how you get there. That's how the mind changes, and then that's how the life changes. Because motivation matters more than just the outcome. And I'm convinced that God has given women a special ability to uh, read through motives and, uh, differently than men. And I wish that God hadn't given women this ability, because um, it's gone really badly for me and my family. And <clears throat> I come from a long line of romantic men. <clears throat> and it started with my dad. Uh, I, I love this story because on their first anniversary, um, I understand that he got my mom the most expensive gift that he's he'd ever gotten her in all of their married years. About ten thousand dollar gift in the garage. It was a boat. Okay. <laughs> and here's the kicker: she doesn't fish. Okay. All right. And that was their first anniversary present. And then my mom knew from there. It was a match made in heaven, that this thing was going to be an amazing journey with a generous man whose motivation might be slightly misguided. But the apple didn't fall far from the tree uh, in many situations. And I asked my wife, I said, well, uh, am I guilty of this too? She said, yeah, you're really guilty of this. And um, so for example, when her and I were dating in high school, I had a membership at the golf course down here, the, the Lynx golf course in Blaine. And I was under 18, so it was really cheap for me to have a membership there. And, but it was expensive to bring a guest to go golfing. But I, I was going on a date with my girl. She was, we were about 17 at the time. I said, will you come golfing with me? Let's go on a date. She'd never been golfing before. She was very excited about it. So I said, let's go. Let's go together. And uh, I couldn't afford for her to actually golf, okay? Um, I wanted her to come along. I really did. But I wanted her to just sit and watch me golf. And um, so that's what I did. And I said, it's fine. You'll love it. You'll be in the golf cart. You can sip water and um, we'll have a great time. And she still remembers that moment when I was cheap and my motivations were just because I wanted to go golfing and I wanted to hang out with her, but I was too cheap in order to pay for her to actually go golfing with me. So the problem is that You know as well as I know that motivation matters. It matters in your relationships. It matters in how you parent. You know when your kid's motivation is off. The thing is it doesn't change when it comes to our relationship with God. Motivation matters. What is driving you to do what you are supposed to do? And here's where I would just kind of lay it down. Here's where I think the answer is. Gospel-driven motivation. Gospel-driven motivation is how God envisions in Scripture that we respond to what he's done. Let me give you an example of this. You're wronged by somebody at work or a friend, and they've hurt you. Where do you muster up the, the love to forgive somebody that's really hurt you? Where do you come up with this kind of thing? Because our tendency is, well, I'll forgive if they then respond the right way, or I'll forgive uh, if I know that things are going to work out rightly, right? How do you muster up the love to actually forgive somebody that's really wronged you? Here's an example. 1 John four nineteen. We love because he first loved us. Once once you get this concept, Scripture opens up clearly to us. The motivation for doing just about anything is understanding, first and foremost, what has been done for us. When you realize what you've been forgiven for, and some of you have a long list, me too. It allows you to forgive other people that have really hurt you. Because we love because he's first loved us. Here's another example, 2 Corinthians 5 14 and 15. The Apostle Paul wrote this as well. For Christ's love compels us, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who should live no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Let me break this down a little bit. Christ's love compels us, there's the motivation. Right? What in the world motivated Paul, the writer of this book, to travel from city to city? He got beat up. He got cast out. Everything went wrong on his travels. What motivated him to keep going? Same thing that motivates you to keep going. Christ's love compels us. For we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. Therefore, Jesus died for all, and we then died to ourselves He died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but him who died for them and was raised again. No longer live for ourselves. Every other lesser motivation that I mentioned earlier is really about self. How can I feel better? How can I get the praise of other people? How can can people look at me differently? But the motivation that Paul wrote about here is that Christ's love compels us that we should no longer live for ourselves, but for him who died for us. We must never assume, and, and I've been around people long enough to know that we all assume that we know all about the cross. We know all about what Jesus has done for us. The Bible says, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so, right? You, you've, you've, maybe you've heard that before, and we assume we, we get it. And those were the ABCs, and we needed that to get in. But one thing that God has taught me over and over, over the last decade, is that it's not just the ABCs, it's rather the A to the Z of Christianity, is understanding rightly what has been done for me. We are saved by believing the gospel, and then we are transformed by believing it more deeply as life goes on. And then you will realize the motives by which you live don't actually match up to what Scripture tells us. Martin Luther, who's the great reformer 500 years ago, he said, to progress is always to begin, always to begin again. You don't move on from who Jesus was and what he did to more important doctrines and truths. You go deeper into that one truth that changes everything. Oftentimes in churches, there's people that... um, we come from a religious background, and a motivation for religion says, I obey, therefore I am accepted. If I obey, and if I do the right thing, and we need to check our hearts on this, because more of us are guilty of this than we know. If I obey, therefore I am accepted. However, gospel motivation is this, I am accepted by God through Christ, therefore I obey. You get the difference there? See, religion says, I need to do this and work harder and try harder to get God to like me so that I can get him to do what I need him to do. Whereas the gospel, motivation through the gospel says, I've been accepted. He does love me in spite of me. Therefore, I will obey. I desperately want this to be true in my life, I want this to be true in my kids' lives. And I know that they're five, three, and one, and they're not going to say, Father, we have respect your authority in our home. But you can tell, just like I can tell, when they're obeying because they're forced to obey or because there's a treat on the line or because there's consequences if they don't obey. And you and I want our kids to obey from the heart because they love us, they respect us, They want our approval, actually, because they have our approval. Why do we think it's so different with God? We obey and do the things we're supposed to do because of our acceptance with him. He doesn't want rule-following. For the sake of rule following. And some of you are here and you're new to church, new to this faith. You say, I thought Christianity, I can't live up to Christianity because it's a lot of rule following that I clearly can't do. Well, you thought wrong. It is, the, the rules follow a motivation and they are not in front of that motivation. I obey, I, I, I live up to this because God has changed me from the inside out. If it's true that God is not as concerned about the action as he is the motive behind the action, then let me ask you this question. What is primarily driving you today? What drives you to want those changes in your life? Every one of us can can name things that we need to change, we want to change. It could be a spiritual discipline, could be an addiction, could be a relationship. But go one level deeper. And ask yourself this question, what is motivating me to change? And are my motivations pure, or are my motivations really, more than anything, self-focused? Maybe the reason why we so often fail at accomplishing the transformation that we want so badly is because our motivation is too small and too self-centered, what if we were really motivated out of gratefulness to God for what He has done for us? And our motivation is driven primarily not to earn any favor from Him, but because we already have it. I would say I just present this to you that that's how we'll actually change. Because as I started the message, I said, coming out of last week and, and you any, anything that's a real challenge we don't often live up to the challenge. We fall short. We, we get motivated and excited because we, we know we're supposed to do it and then we fall short oftentimes because our motivation is in the wrong place to actually do it. My challenge this morning is to look one step deeper at what motivates you for that transformation and see what God does as you orient yourselves rightly because of what he's done for you. Let's pray together. God, thank you for the opportunity to be here, to look at a couple passages of Scripture and to go one step further and say, what is it that motivates me in doing this? Why do I care so much what other people think about me? Why do I care so much about that job or that person? I pray, God, that we would be motivated by the right things, and that is because you love us and you've accepted us, we then can be changed from the inside out. Help us to have right motivation in Jesus' name. Amen.